I've written this story before, but I've also mentioned that I never want anything to be fixed or definitive in this religion that I am creating for myself. Religion is a question that I am seeking to ask as sincerely as anyone ever has. So the title to this episode is not so much a statement, but a question that I am asking myself. What exactly do I mean by all of this? Hail and welcome to A Satanist Reads the Bible, exploring the Bible, Christianity, and other religions and their sacred texts through the lens of Satanism in order to reinvent religion for myself. I've got another piece called What I Mean When I Say That I Am a Satanist that I'm fairly sure was the first thing I wrote for this project. It was basically exactly what it said on the tin, and today's reading is an extension and refinement of that. I recognize my Satanism as being a part of a continuity of religious ideas that have existed since antiquity, but that has also been influenced by modern interpretations, including that of the Romantics, as well as Anton LaVey and Lucian Greaves and modern non-Satanic philosophers, most notably Nietzsche and Bataille. But at its core, it's that ancient Satanism that I'm reaching for, and that distinguishes me from more recent Satanic thinkers. I think that that distinction warrants explication, which is what today's reading is about. Some of this is still a bit muddled, and I think it's about time that I attempted yet another formulation of my ideas, and I will likely get to that when a Satanist reads the Bible enters what I am starting to think of as phase three towards the end of this year. But a huge part of this project has been not just an explication of my ideas, but of my process as well, and so I think it's important to cover not just my best writing, but also the writing that got me to that point in the first place. Before I get to that, a piece of what might only under the most generous terms be called journalism crossed my feed yesterday, and it pissed me off to a sufficient degree that I think it warrants addressing. It's not just that I disagree with the opinion expressed in the article in question, but that it displays such a stunning lack of intellectual honesty and integrity in presenting its argument. So here's a quick takedown. The article is titled, The New Masculinity, Turning Men into Women, and was posted as an opinion piece by the evangelical Christian conservative Michael Brown on the pro-Trump conservative website townhall.com on November 3rd. The article opens by referencing the cover of the latest edition of GQ magazine titled The New Masculinity Issue. Just as an introduction to those who might not be familiar, GQ, and I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, focuses on fashion, style, and culture for men. Brown says of the cover, There stands singer and fashion designer Farrell Williams, adorned gorgeously in a long flowing robe and looking quite ladylike. I encourage you to look up images of the cover yourself because the long flowing robe in question looks like someone made a poncho out of an oversized sleeping bag, and while Farrell does look decidedly effeminate, I think ladylike is a stretch. Be that as it may, Brown clearly finds this image highly threatening. But that's just the beginning. After describing the cover, Brown follows with the line, I kid you not, and this establishes his overall strategy in making his case. Describe the matter in question, often in exaggerated terms and with highly dubious references, and then respond with incredulity and sarcasm, as if the reasons why any of this would be problematic are self-evident. 
he must have thought that the reasons were indeed self-evident because he doesn't bother presenting them himself. Brown references an article in the magazine from Katrina Karkazis, hopefully I pronounced that right, regarding new scientific research on the true effects of the hormone testosterone. Brown asks of her work with, and I'm quoting here, full respect to Dr. Karkazis's credentials, and fully admitting that he has no scientific basis for refuting Karkazis's claims, he asks, are these studies driven more by science or by ideology? Ah, good question. And by posing it in this context, Brown is clearly implying the latter, and with an implication like that, one would certainly expect Brown to follow up with clear reasons as to why these studies were driven more by ideology than by science. But of course, there is nothing of the sort. All Brown offers by way of support is a link attached to the word ideology, which leads to, and I encourage you to check this out for yourself because it's going to sound like I made this up, which leads to a negative review of Carcassus's book on Amazon by an anonymous, unverified individual. And among the book's claims that the review takes issue with is the notion that, quoting here, sex is made up of many characteristics that all exist on a spectrum. I don't want to follow in Brown's shoes and just act incredulous without offering reasons, but isn't that something that's fairly obviously the case if you just look around at different people? The anonymous reviewer does make some claims about the book that might carry more weight if any specific details were given, but none are. Returning to Brown's article, he proceeds from baseless incredulity to rabid strawmanning. Without citing any examples of this being his opposition's actual position, he states, in sarcastic fashion, the playing field must be perfectly leveled, male-female distinctions must be downplayed and denied, and gender confusion must reign supreme. From men menstruating to men having babies, gender norms must go. The whole thing reeks of cowardice and insecurity. Sturgeon's Law states that 90% of everything is crap, and Daniel Dennett's corollary, as presented in his 2014 book Intuition Pumps, is, don't waste your time hooting at the crap. This is far from the best of conservative political commentary, but as is evident from looking at the comments section, few seem aware of that. Indeed, from what I've seen, this level of discourse is highly representative of American conservative evangelical Christian political discourse in general, both in terms of content and rhetoric. Brown has several books out as well, the most recent of which is Jezebel's War with America, The Plot to Destroy Our Country and What We Can Do to Turn the Tide. I'm very tempted to find a copy, read it, and present my findings, but as important as it is for me to read books I disagree with, I doubt whether this one would even be worth the effort. Okay, end of rant. I think I was likely preaching to the choir on that one, but hey, if I'm taking a stand against Christian hegemony, might as well take the time to stay on top of what that actually entails. On to this week's reading, What I Mean When I Say That I Am a Satanist. Part 2. I've wondered if the notion of calling oneself a Satanist might seem childish to some. 
On the one hand, it seems like a phase that a rebellious teenager might go through, but every time I look at it, I can find no substantive reason that it would be any more childish than calling oneself a Christian. If I were to speak of the icon of one who suffered so as to redeem humankind, whom does the icon represent? It could be yours or mine in equal measure. And what is more extreme, the icon of Christ in torment on the cross or the icon of Satan in torment in hell? One suffered for a day, the other for all time, and I value knowledge above salvation from what seems a petty God who seeks to frustrate and limit us. If this symbolic framework has true spiritual meaning for me, why shouldn't I explore it as fully as any Christian? To me, religion is the genre of philosophy that concerns certain questions that arise naturally from certain experiences of being human that we might call religious or mystical experiences and various other things. Religion is about the questions. The answers that we give to those questions can be good or bad, true or false, whatever. None of that negates the value of asking the questions and coming up with answers. In that sense, I think that atheism is a religion just as much as Christianity or any other thing that we normally call religion. It's answering the same questions, it's just that the answers are different. Atheist hardliners will likely and rightly point out here that atheism is not necessarily a belief that God doesn't exist, but rather a lack of belief in God. Here I would distinguish atheism from apatheism, which doesn't bother with the questions of religion at all. To the specific question of whether there is a God, the atheist's answer, I don't know and I don't believe either way, is still very much an answer and a good one. So what are my answers? Although I began thinking of myself as a Satanist about two years ago, I've been writing about it for only about three months. As of when I wrote this, it's uh, now been almost a year that I've been writing about it and maybe two and a half years that I've been thinking about myself as a Satanist. And I've been posting new stories every week without fail. The audience has been minimal, but I somewhat expected that. Religion as a topic for blog posts, or podcasts, I suppose, doesn't seem to be of wide popular appeal at the moment, and my particular topics are especially niche, and my approach probably a bit odd. But if my audience is small, it is at least starting to be consistent, and I take that as a good sign. And I released this back in... Um, I think it was April as a blog post, and things have grown considerably since then. What have I learned overall? How have my views changed, or been reaffirmed, or negated entirely? I hope I can find a few things to fit into all of these categories. That would also indicate to me that I'm on the right track. In writing my first story, Six Days of Creation and the Sabbath, I learned that what I have been told of the Bible and what is actually contained within— are often starkly different things. This has since been a keystone in my thinking about religion. It has been reaffirmed at every turn. I don't mean to use this alone to refute the Bible, only to refute what is said about it. There are lies in the Bible as well, but the lies about it are often worse and are being told to us by people living today, spoken in the service of justifying atrocities. What I did not expect was that I would nevertheless come to revere the text and to see it as a lens through which I could hold similar reverence to other sacred texts. 
the Upanishads or the poetry of Rumi or Paradise Lost, for example. I understand why others revere the Bible, and I can't begrudge them that. I think that they and I see some of the same things in the text, things of such remarkable gnosis that we can't help but carry them into our lives. My reservations about religion in general were entirely contradicted, and I've come to love it as an expression of the breadth and depth of human imagination and experience. Already being predisposed to satanic iconography and deeply immersed in Hegel, I first sought out Satan in the Bible and found that what I had learned already was true of this as well, and I wrote of this in Satan the Accuser. The first three stanzas of that essay now remind me a bit of Mary Baker Eddy, who founded the religion of Christian science in which I was raised and which I wrote about in The Tragedy of Christian Science. Hegel remains an important point of reference. This is an area where I think I've failed as a writer to be entirely clear with what I mean and will probably continue to do so for some time yet. It's hard to write of Hegel's ideas without doing so in the language he used to describe them. But the basic idea stems first from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. This has also been a cornerstone of my thought. Because of this remarkable passage, everything we know about ourselves reflects on God as well. Self-knowledge is God-knowledge, and combining this with Hegel, there is the inference that God must be as subject to intersubjectivity as we are, meaning that they can have no real self-aware existence without something other to them which delineates what they are. And that other would then be Satan, and in this way both God and Satan are necessary to each other. Hegel wrote about religion as well, but there I find his answers unsatisfactory, and have begun to favor Kierkegaard. But I'll be writing of that in a coming essay concerning faith and sacrifice. And I, I did write about that, and that will be um, a podcast episode at some point. The essay, Satanism, Christmas, and the Birth of Christ Jesus, has been my most popular story by an order of magnitude. It seems that Medium's curating systems picked up on it and it got distributed. It still gets several reads per day, while the stats on my other stories generally stagnate. That was also the transition of this blog from the abstract to the personal. I've been reading Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and I have some reservations about some of its claims, as I do with most books, but also find it inspiring and useful. This is where it came alive for me, where it became personal, where I got my soul in the game, as Taleb would say. I decided from that point forward to always try to write from that space. I'll pause and note here that Taleb's book did end up being useful for me, but my opinion of Taleb and of Skin in the Game has soured considerably since I wrote this. I'll also take a quick break here to note that my primary strategic objective for the podcast right now is a bigger audience. I'm going to be talking about my strategic goals more generally in an upcoming podcast, but one of them, and the main one for 2020, is an ambitious tenfold increase in listenership. To that end, if you've enjoyed this work, I hope that you'll share this podcast wherever you can. Okay, back to what I mean when I say that I am a Satanist, part two. So much of what I have done so far defines Satanism in terms of negation, in terms of what it isn't. 
this isn't a problem. Historical religion is a stone, and I am carving away what doesn't suit my purposes. But can I say anything of what Satanism is rather than what it isn't? My religion is a syncretic one, but I see it as being primarily a part of the Abrahamic tradition. It's a fusion of the inverses of at least Judaism and Christianity, and maybe Islam as well, although I haven't explored that in much detail yet. That's what I wrote. As of now, I have explored it much more deeply, and I would say that yes, indeed, Islam is a part of the traditions of which my Satanism is composed. The Bible is a sacred text to me. I have others as well, but that's one of the most significant. It's the one I grew up with in a few different forms. I try to understand it deeply and honestly and not dismiss any of it out of hand. There are some things that definitely just get thrown out, but not without first trying to understand what they might have meant in the religious or cultural sense to the authors. I don't let the text define God for me, but rather use it more as a prompt to explore my own understanding. Satanism is an opposition to Christianity and Abrahamic religion in general, but not at all in a malevolent way and actually even in a kind of inter-supporting way. I think that religion is an important and beautiful part of being human. I understand the justification for my own religion, and in that, I can see as well the justification for Christianity or any other. I don't accept the stupidity or nihilism or cruelty that comes with any of them, but those are all just bad answers to religious questions, and it's easy to expose them as such. Satanic symbolism is especially meaningful to me in that regard, as symbols of opposition to institutions that have taken religion away from individuals, corrupted spirituality and religious experience, contorted the texts in order to gain power and further their own agendas, and made the bad answers the de facto answers, which must be accepted without question or wholly rejected, but in no case answered for oneself. I call these institutions, including their expansion beyond religion into socio-political realms, collectively by the name of the hegemon, from the Greek word meaning authority or sovereign. I don't think that Satanism is something altogether new, but rather something that has existed to some degree in all religious traditions throughout history. Take, for example, the first chapter of the second book of the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, the great forest teaching of Hinduism. In this book, the sage Balaki offers to teach the king Ajatashatru about Brahman, the true self and the underlying truth of reality. Balaki, a respected spiritual teacher, says first that Brahman is a person who lives in the sun. Ajatashatru curtly dismisses this notion, saying instead that Brahman is the topmost, the head and king of all beings. Balaki then offers that Brahman is a person who lives in the moon, and Ajatashatru counters that Brahman is the true essence of the sacred plant Soma, which has hallucinogenic properties. Balaki says that Brahman is enlightening. Ajatashatru that Brahman is brightness itself. Balaki says that Brahman lives in space. Ajatashatru that Brahman is fullness itself. This continues for eight more iterations each time, with Balaki offering an imminent, limited de definition of the sacred and... Ajatashatru countering with one that is expansive, transcendent, and infinite. In the final one, Balaki says that Brahman lives in shadow, and Ajatashatru says that Brahman is death. Balaki then admits his ignorance and asks to become Ajatashatru's student. 
This is Satanism, the opposition to small and limited conceptions of what God can be. Similarly, the scientist Giordano Bruno was burned at the stake for heresy in the year 1600 because he dared to proclaim an infinite universe of an infinite God to the Catholic Church who would accept only a God so limited as to be subservient to the identity and uniqueness of humankind. The Buddhist teacher Chogyam Trungpa spoke of religion that casts aside teachings acquired and collected like baubles in favor of one discovered through introspection into personal experience. This is Satanism as well, the rejection of institutionalized doctrinal impersonal religion which answers all the questions and supplies the comfort of having to do nothing but follow orders, quoting from his book Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. In the same book, Trungpa said, it takes tremendous effort to work one's way through the difficulties of the path and actually get into the situations of life thoroughly and properly. So the whole point of the hard way seems to be that some individual effort must be made by the student to acknowledge himself, to go through the process of unmasking. One must be willing to stand alone, which is difficult. And in the Bible, we find early appearances of Satan as the accuser, not an enemy or adversary of God, but rather one among their host who serves a purpose in testing and adjudicating God. I enjoy the Paradise Lost archetype of Satan the adversary, Lucifer, Lightbearer, but the one that resonates with me the most is this earlier conception, the one that appears early on in the Old Testament when Satan is God's ally and counterpart. I remind those who would say that Satan appears even earlier as adversary in the book of Genesis that everything about the serpent in the Garden of Eden being Satan is a retcon and is not reflected in the text. What I am personally striving for is a pantheistic Satanism. Pantheism is the notion that the cosmos and the divine are consubstantial. In pantheism proper, they are coterminous as well. The cosmos and the divine are directly equated with each other. While in panentheism, the cosmos is included in the divine, but the divine extends beyond the cosmos. I am weighing both possibilities. When I think of a pantheistic manifestation of Satan, the first thing that comes to mind is entropy. Entropy is, broadly speaking, the measurement of disorder in a system, and it is an immutable law that the entropy of a given closed system will always trend towards the maximum. The universe being a closed system, its disorder will always increase in the long run. I have an idea. Nothing so structured as to be called a theory or so testable as to be called a hypothesis. That entropy is like water, always seeking the path of least resistance, the path towards maximal entropy, and that the path towards maximal entropy is sometimes by way of a greater degree of order. In this way, great order is created along the path to greater disorder. We are ourselves the most complex thing that we know to exist. Not just a single mind, by itself more complex than anything else we know, but a culture of billions of them. And look how quickly we are turning our local system, the Earth, from order to disorder. Pollution, to take an example, is the result of applying a change process to raw materials. Something ordered is made out of it, but the net trend is toward disorder. When the universe is left to its own devices, entropy is a function of change over time and is essentially random. Things trend towards disorder because there are more ways for things to be disordered than there are for them to be ordered. But we have made it almost purposeful. 
In this way, God and Satan find themselves in service of each other. The one drives the universe toward greater entropy at an ever faster rate, and the other creates the possibility for complex order to exist at all via that process. My aim is not worship or an indulgence of the transformation of order into disorder, but only understanding and relationship between myself and a cosmic process which includes entropy. Ultimately, I'm dealing with my experience alone. We don't get to see the world in itself, isolated from our experiences of it, and I don't mistake my experience of the world for the world itself. I make no metaphysical claims at all, only phenomenological ones. And Satan is real and ubiquitous in the phenomenology of my experience. That's it for the show today. Up next on Friday, I've got another piece on the Bhagavad Gita that I'm really excited about sharing with you. Next Wednesday is going to be a reading of an old essay I wrote about Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, which has been one of my most well-received writings. And I finally got the book in that I needed to do research about Iblis, a demonic figure from the Quran. It's fascinating stuff, and I'll be bringing that to you on Friday the 15th. No episode on the 20th, Friday the 22nd will be an outline of my strategic plan for the blog and podcast, and then I'll be taking a short break, probably just a couple weeks, before returning with A Satanist Reads the Bible, Phase 3. A Satanist Reads the Bible is written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, with music by me as well, all possible thanks to the support of my partner, my patrons, and my audience. And I'm going to take the opportunity here to thank all five of my patrons by name. Alex Anakainen, Kristen Stelter, Rich Cottle, Mr. Zabrowski, and my new patron, Justin Erlaub. Welcome to the club, and many thanks to all of you for your gracious support. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Always thought that I'm